Round two. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Red. And I'm Harry. And this is A Forever. The show where we each bring three words or phrases that the other person doesn't understand or know, and they have to guess based on their origin, (laughs) their etymology, (laughs) or other such factors what they mean. We then grade each other out of five for each word or phrase. That comes up to a grand total of something out of, let's say, X over 15. <laughs> and then the winner gets nothing. <laughs> yeah. But the pride of and winning at a show that they've invented. <laughs> you went first last time? Yeah. With, yeah. with methods of neuroscience. Too true. So. I'll go first this time. Great. Wow. I'm on board with that. Phenomenal. All right. My theme this week is emails. Okay. Because I've been receiving all these gosh darn privacy changes emails from every website I use uh, because of the European Union's new data protection policy. Okay. Which means that a lot of these companies are now just changing their global data protection policies and are emailing us about them. And I was like, emails? Huh. So I chose that as my theme. Got it. And just a quick rundown. What changes have been made to the European Union's data privacy a couple of things number one it's now easier for individuals to access or delete the data that's been accrued by various companies nice um it's easier for regulators to pursue companies for taking that data without consent got it for specific data policies there has to be active and informed consent by whomever has their data taken and um, the maximum fine has been raised to 20 million U.S. dollars or 4% of global turnover, whichever one is larger. Wow. So is this in response to Cambridge Analytica? No, no, no. This is in response to primarily, I believe, Google's data policy in the EU. But it's been a long time coming by a specific green member of the European Parliament whose name I forget. And he's been pursuing this for about four or five years. And okay. it's finally come to fruition. All right, nice, great. Anyway, so (laughs) my first phrase or term is the store and forward model. Okay. So this is, it's like a kind of email technology, like a way of designing email. (laughs) Okay. Email. (laughs) Is it when you send an email? So Mm. I've already store, keep something, forward, pass something on. Mm -hmm. So are those the main functions of that kind of model no no i was i was shaking my head for all you you listeners out there (laughs) is it your email system keeping it's not your email system okay it's like the way in which the whole email system is designed based on specific qualities of email if you see what i mean well a system is made up of subsystems that do smaller things very true are storing and forwarding the smaller things that make up the system I think the store and forward model, that's, that's very hard to explain without giving you what it is. <laughs> very difficult to define. It's, uh, I, it's very difficult to give a hints about. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking when you get an email, when you it's like reply not a, to an email yeah. and then all of the previous emails are shown it's beneath. Not a, it's not about that. that. It's like not about... It's not about It's not about email. your specific email storing and forwarding things. Right. It's about how it works when you send and receive them. Like stages between you and the person you're sending it to. Okay, so you send the email, Mm -hmm. and some server 
receives... Okay, your email is intended for an address. Mm-hmm. Like harry at gmail.com. Or a cast at gmail.com, let's nice. say. Nice, that's a way better example <laughs> email. So you are trying to send an email You're to You're an a avid for- listener. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to send an email to a cast at gmail.com. I send it and a server receives it. And then that server contacts a bunch of servers and is like, do you have gmail.com? Do you have gmail.com? Do you have gmail? And then when it finds the one that has gmail.com, it's, it then like forwards the data to a bunch of smaller sub servers and is like, do you have a for effort cast? Do you have a for effort cast? You know? So like your you send the email out, one server collects it and then like forwards it to the appropriate next server. That's close enough that I'll give the specific definition. Okay, That's cool. okay. So basically the store and forward model is a function of the fact that email is a messaging service in which people aren't online at the same time. Oh. So what you do is you send it to an intermediary server on which the other person's email is based, and that server keeps it until their email is online, at which point it receives it. Okay. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Store and forward model, you send the email and the server stores it until the recipient recipient is online, at which point it forwards forwards it. it. Yes. But when you open your email, so when it says it's like getting your mailbox ready when you've logged into email, but it hasn't, the page hasn't let yet loaded, mm-hmm. is that it receiving all of the emails? I imagine so. It depends on what settings your email has. So let's say on my phone, I will actively receive emails even though I'm not on. And right. that's because I have like push for notifications on, which means the email server is constantly online. Got it. But if you, like my grandfather, for example, only goes onto his email like once a day when he goes to like literally aol.co.uk or whatever. Like he's a crazy email system. (laughs) And so only at that point is his server online and that's the only point at which it it is actively receiving things. Right. Even though it receives the data telling him at which point it was received Mm. by the intermediary server. Right. That's metadata that's contained within the email. Exactly. Nice. (laughs) All right. Number two. Lead nurturing emails. So a little explanation as to what this kind of email is. So my first one was more of an abstract thing about emails. Mm-hmm. I then was kind of interested in looking up kinds of emails. I think I have an idea okay. of what it is. Okay. So this is like from a web from a web page that was like the fifteen emails you need to send. Okay. A lead nurturing email. Uh-huh. So a lead reminds me of journalists seeking leads for stories so people who have some information that you want nurturing is to promote the development of Mm. and email is electronic (laughs) electronic communication so lead nurturing email is it like an email expressing your interest in someone's field of work or something like that you're like trying to network via email in a way but i will more specifically to find lead for you okay. is like a, so let's say you're sending out marketing emails. So you want to sell things. Yes. So this is a lead for a potential customer. Mm. So is it some, oh, is it an email that presents what you do or kind of, um, you know, it asks questions like, are you da, da, da? Like, do you fulfill these criteria? Because mm. if so, email us back these these are the services that we have to offer so it's an email that contains information criteria that would make someone uh interested in what you're selling yes nice and generally they're like they like do it over a couple of days you receive multiple emails apparently i don't know anything about this but it was on the 15 (laughs) emails i need to send (laughs) 
Who is that targeting? I don't know. <laughs> right, because it feels a little. Right, the fifteen emails you need you, to send. You badger them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Make sure good. you send multiple emails <laughs> over a couple of days. Yeah. So it like nurtures a potential customer. Let's say you you sell sweaters or whatever. Yeah, I do. And you've discovered you've somehow. I'm guessing through the kind of data laws that the EU now has put <laughs> yeah. in. Or at least data practices that are now illegal under EU law. Right. You've somehow vultured this person's email. Yeah. And they're now a potential customer. Yeah. So you, over like a week or something, send many emails explaining what you do and giving all your offers and whatever to try and nurture this lead into an actual customer. Okay. Got it. So to summarize, Mm, a lead nurturing email. I feel like you just summarized it pretty well. But (laughs) you send an email, potentially multiple, over a couple of days trying to turn a potential customer into a customer by explaining the services that you offer. Yes. Cool. That is that. All right. My final term, spam-vertised sites. Okay. Spam. It's kind of canned meat. (laughs) 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 Okay. So spam, undesirable emails, Mm. like undesirable content. It's trying to sell you something. I think spam often has kind of a predatory vibe to it like it's trying to trick you Mm. into buying something or into revealing some data spamvertised seems like a portmanteau of spam and advertised (laughs) so you're correct and a site would be like a website Mm -hmm. so when you get an email and it says hey this is rbc even though you don't bank with rbc yeah (laughs) click here to log in and then they hyperlink here is that the spamvertised site it's like an uh, an often predatory website that's linked in an email that tries to trick you to going into it. Yes. In order to extract some data from you. Yes. It is a website advertised through spam. All right. All right. That is the end of round one. Round two. Here we go. My theme this week is income inequality. Oh, fun. <laughs> is this an Ezra Klein-related topic? No, it's oh, not. Wow. <laughs> Unlike most of my <laughs> A topics. lot of other topics. Well, sorry yeah. for yelling into the mic. <laughs> yeah. No, so I read an article in The Atlantic earlier this week, mm-hmm. and it was... I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like the 9.9% is the new aristocracy. Did you read that? Yes. <laughs> this is going to be pretty easy for you. I have read that article. It was <laughs> yeah. a very good article. It, it was also quite long. It was very long. I read 85% of it. I read 100% and all my terms came from the last 15%. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my first term, mm-hmm. and I think you're going to know it because you read the article. It's income and <laughs> is, is deep work. <laughs> Okay, my first term is intergenerational income elasticity. Oh, yes. So this is the... Uh, yes, 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 yes. I know this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the extent to which people who grow up in a certain income band can either escape or progress or move down from that income band. Yeah. So it's the relationship between a parent's income and their yes. children's. And they say elasticity because there is a resistance. Yeah. And the metaphor used in the article, it's like a band around your ankle. And if you fall down, it can spring you back up, spring you back up. But it can also keep you you from climbing. So a zero would represent no relationship and a one, a perfect relationship. Yeah. So like in the monarchy. That's probably a one. Yes. <laughs> if a parent earned 100% more than average mm-hmm. and the correlation was 0.4, the 
their child would be expected to earn 40% more than average. Okay. Yeah. And that sounds great for that parent-child pair, but But, the issue is that a higher, it's called an IGE, a higher IGE represents lower social mobility. Mm Mm-hmm. So the IG in the U.S. in 2016, it was around 0.45. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, it was around 0.25. Oh, good for Canada. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Canada. Yeah, Sick hey. job. <laughs> All right. My second term mm. is depopulation paradox. Depopulation, reduction in population somehow, the removal of a population or the migration of a population. Yep. Um, paradox, contradiction. Is it about neighborhoods yep okay specifically metropolises cities with very high returns on real estate oh 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 oh, oh. people are moving out of the big cities that cost a lot of money because they can't live there yeah exactly so large cities have a lot of amenities and a lot of commerce which makes people want to live there but the paradox is that people can't live there so they leave but people can't live there because okay. housing prices are so high. I just happened to stumble across a number of articles about how the Bay Area is the number one area in the U.S. right now for out-migration. Yes. So people can't afford to live there. Mm-hmm. And in the article, they the Bay San Area Francisco. is mentioned. San Francisco, yeah. yeah, like 162% returns on yeah. real estate over a certain period of time. I, something like that. You can see that out-migration right, yeah. because of this depopulation paradox reflected in, in the economy elsewhere Mm. like it costs 16 times more to rent a u-haul going from las vegas into san jose yeah than it does to go from san jose to las vegas because there are so many u-hauls leaving san jose yeah that it costs more right they you know flexible pricing it's much more in demand and i'm sure that that also partially reflects the expense of the real estate for the u-hauls in san jose yeah the median home prices in San Francisco, the median listing price is $1,195,000. The median sale price is $1,277,400. Yeah. Anyway, it's super expensive. Seems like a nice place to live. But yeah. <laughs> so the depopulation paradox is a paradox that in the areas of the most economic activity and opportunity, there's actually a net loss of people i.e. there's a huge amount of out-migration. Yeah. And people can't afford to live. Yes, because people can't afford to live there. Yes, despite the amount of industry there. Yes. My final term Mm. is superstar hypothesis. And this was not in the article. Oh, rats. Superstar hypothesis. So a superstar is something, or someone, let's say, extraordinarily talented or good at something. Hypothesis, a theory, a guess. <laughs> is it something about like kids? Like the kids of these people will become successful or something? Nope. It's one explanation for divergence in income. That there has been a growth in more talented people? Not that there's a growth, but that the economy is now more responsive to more talented people? Not that it's more responsive. But more... It's more valuable economically now to be more talented in a specific way. And why is that? What other changes have happened? Like the in, you know, reduction the in low-skilled jobs, increase in the value of like tech or science skills. So tech has to do with it, but what changes in tech would make someone who's really good at something more valuable? Well, tech has become more 
ubiquitous mm-hmm. and it in itself more like the most valuable companies in the world are now tech companies and we every tech is the most dominant industry in terms of our consumer and so what economy. has tech led to such that a superstar's income would rocket up and somebody who's like not as good would see a decrease more visibility yeah so like if you're a superstar you're more able to gain recognition and therefore a job yeah you're close like more opportunity yeah if you're very very highly skilled at something yeah because tech has allowed big tech companies are now more able to find very very skilled people so is the hypothesis that income inequality in some ways has increased because big companies and specifically tech companies it's not just tech companies it's the tech companies are doing something to like they're enacting change in society that's making it easier for superstars to make a lot of money oh i don't know (laughs) okay okay so it's a hypothesis that divergence in income Uh has come because communication technology has increased so people who are really good in any yeah. one field can compete all over the world because they can communicate so readily with oh, other okay. places. So the best accrue extensive wealth at the cost of yes. the runners-up. So for example, Netflix comedy specials mm-hmm. allow you to watch amazing comedians yeah. from your house. And so maybe you're less likely to go out in your small town to a bar to watch stand-up. Oh, right. Okay. So the superstars rake in mm-hmm the money that would otherwise be sort of more dispersed. Yeah, it kind of stratifies the top tier of yes. talent. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the superstar hypothesis. And some other mm-hmm. hypotheses for why incomes are diverging. Automation. Yes. Offshoring. Mm-hmm. Skill-biased technological change. Mm-hmm. And decline of labor unions. Do you want to summarize? Yes. The stupid superstar, the, <laughs> the stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid hypothesis, the superstar <laughs> hypothesis is the theory that one of the reasons income inequality has increased is that in a, an improvement in communications technology means that elites in all fields can now compete across the world, meaning that they can accrue <laughs> the kind of global winnings while the runners up are unable to. All right. And that's the end of round two. I have my scores. Do you have your scores, Moraine? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Great. All right. Do you want to go first? Yes. I gave you a two out of five restore and forward model, Fair. a four out of five for lead nurturing emails, cool. and a five out of five for spamvertised sites, which gives you a grand total of 11 out of 15. <laughs> All right. For intergenerational income elasticity, mm-hmm. five out of five. Thank you. Four. I really guessed that one. <laughs> For depopulation paradox, five out of five. Wow, another good guess. <laughs> For superstar hypothesis, three out of five. The one where I had to guess didn't do as well. <laughs> All right, which is a grand total of 13 out of 15. Mm-hmm. So my theme was derived from an article in The Atlantic mm-hmm. about the upper middle class called The Birth of a New American Aristocracy. Yes. And then I also read a dissenting article in Slate. Uh, that was called Forget the Atlantic's 9.9%. The 1% are still the problem. So I will link both of those in the show notes. They make for compelling reading, in my opinion. For intergenerational income elasticity, 
I will link an article in which the economist Miles Korak links IGE discrepancies in culturally similar countries to a bunch of other factors, like the amount of reading to children by parents and maternal health. Mm. Also, Korak's initial paper on inequality and the 2012 Center for American Progress speech by Alan Kruger, chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm saying many things, and I'm trying to make them more exciting by reading it in a weird voice. <laughs> For depopulation paradox, I will have links to the U-Haul Prices article and the story about San Francisco being the number one city for the for out-migration. And I will also have linked an article about the superstar hypothesis. Phenomenal. For my theme of emails, I'd like you to read this fun article I was reading called Businesses Resort to Desperate Emailing as GDPR Deadline Looms on The Guardian, which I will send to Mairead and Mairead will link. <laughs> the rest of it was just Googling about emails, so you don't really need to look at that. But read this interesting article about GDPR. It's very interesting. All right. Cool. Cool. A for Effort is hosted and produced by me, Mairead. And me, Harry. And is edited by me, Mairead. But not me, Harry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> our music is Chop Shop Instrumental by White Flowers, and our logo is by Eights. You can find the show on iTunes. Please subscribe and leave a review. That would be so great. And if you'd like to get into contact with us, you can send an email to aforeffortcast at gmail.com. Remember, when you send that email, we may not be online, so it'll go to an intermediary store and forward server. Once we're online, we'll receive it, but we'll know what time you sent it. Thank you very much. That's how email works now. <laughs> and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. He had someone come in because it broke, and he was like, I literally don't know what this is. <laughs>